Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Oluwashina Okaleji at the FIFA Club World Cup in Morocco and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we assess Africa's showing at the Club World Cup with Al-Athli reaching the semi-finals. We look back at the 2022 African Nations Championship, the CHAN, which just ended in Algeria, hailed as the best ever with Senegal beating the hosts on penalties in a dramatic final. Also, we speak to former Zambia international Clifford Mulenga, AFCON winner in 2012 and playing 17 seasons in South Africa. I fortunately could have a contract playing at the top level for such a long time when I could see some of my good friends you know, struggling and couldn't get those opportunities for themselves. As coming later, plus Stewart on the English Premier League as Leeds manager Jesse Marsh is the seventh to lose his job this season. Let's start at the delayed 2022 FIFA Club World Cup in Morocco. Two African teams were among the seven teams there. Widat Casablanca representing the host nation and as African champions. And also there, Al-Athli of Egypt has the Champions League runners-up. Well, Widad went out in the second round, but Al-Athli got to the semi-finals. First beating Auckland City of New Zealand in the first round, then beating Seattle Sounders of the USA in the second round then a battling 4-1 loss to European champions Real Madrid. Well, Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashina Okaleji is in Rabat in Morocco. He watched the game. I asked him if he thought it was a good effort from Al-Athli. Well, I think um, Al-Athli came into this tournament highly experienced and, um, you know, they are competing at an eight tournament. Um, they cruised past New Zealanders, Auckland City, 3 nil in that first-round tie, they completely dominated that game. But against um, the United States Davidson, Seattle Saunders, um, they had to rely on Mohamed um, Ashafa's deflated shot to hand the Red Devils a late winner to set up that tricky tie against the four-time winners, um, the Real Madrid. And against the Los Blancos, you know, they were playing like they were playing away at Real Madrid ground. The crowd was for Real Madrid. And despite the huge travel party from um, Egypt, they really, really gave Real Madrid a fight. Um, and um, the, the, the Spanish side struggled to break the deadlock. However, against Alali's well-organized defense, um, the Egyptians were threatening on the counter-attack. But Vinicius Jr. opened the score in three minutes before halftime with Red Federico Vever doubling the lead just after the break. So, in my opinion, I think the Red Devils they competed well after the hour mark. And that pressure was what paid off when Eduardo Camavinga tripped um, Hussein El Shahat inside the box. It was good to see Tunisia's Al Malul talk the way that penalty to make it 2 1 in the 65th minute. And the crowd just completely turned all over in Rabat. And Al-Ali had their moments during that frantic second period. Um, they should have scored. And Mohamed Afsha missed the sitter from close range. That would have been the equalizer. And of course, um, Hussein El Shahat and um, South African substitute Percy Tao both troubled Real Madrid defense. I sat next to um, former Egypt goalkeeper Ahmed Shubai and he was full of nerves because he was worried about them not taking their chances. But Shubai was excited when Mohamed El Shanawi denied um, the 14-time European champions the third goal by saving that Luka Modric penalty in the 87th minute um, you see but as soon as Rodrigo and substitute Sergio Arribas made sure of the win in stoppage and with that two sublime efforts to seal a comfortable win for Real Madrid it was all frustration for the team the further they threw the chance and Marcel Koller the manager is saying 
ahead of the game against Flamingo. They've watched them play. They are confident that they can um, find O's in the um, Brazilian side and pick up a third place um, medal. Yeah, OK, let's hope so. And what do you say about Al-Ahli's performance over the three games that they played so far as they face Flamengo on Saturday in the third-place match? I think overall um, they will be proud of their performance and um, they can go into the game against Flamingos feeling quite confident. Um, but I think it was an opportunity lost, even though it might be a tall order for them to beat Real Madrid. I think they had their moment. Um, that particular game got everyone on the edge of their seat. Everyone felt like um, Halali could have been more clinical. Um, Daniel Amokachi, the former Nigerian international, sat behind me and he was saying, look, um, this is a good opportunity for Africa to actually achieve a first uh, major win over European opposition in this competition. But I think it was uh, a bridge too far um, for them. But overall, I'm impressed. The pattern of play has changed under um, you know, the, the, the new coach, Masakola, after Pizzo Massimani's exit and, of course, the replacement that didn't really stand a good time with the club. I think so far, they can be proud of what they've done at this Club World Cup. Yes, Al-Athli aiming for a third, third-place finish in a row. And Widad Casablanca only played one game, losing 3-2 to Asian champions Al-Hilal of Saudi Arabia. I think um, for Widad, it was a matter of heartbreak. Um, you know, they led through that game and conceding late in that um, encounter against um, Halilal of Saudi Arabia. With due respect to the Saudi Arabians, they didn't really um, go forward, push forward like many would expect. Musa Marega was the danger man. Um, but for Wida to concede late in that encounter, it really broke hearts. And, um, you know, a lot of things people expected, especially the organizers, they were looking forward to a successful tournament because of um, Morocco reaching the World Cup semi-final in Qatar, high expectations, everyone was talking about them. And um, it's just unfortunate that they had to lose in the manner they did. But, of course, there's a lesson learned there that African teams need to continue to punch above their weights when they come up against oppositions from elsewhere. It's enough to dominate on the continent, but you've got to put your best foot forward when you compete against some of the finest at a tournament of this magnitude. Yes, and a word on Nigeria's Odion Igalo. He's now with Al-Hilal of Saudi Arabia and started in both of their games so far. Uh, the win over Widad and the amazing 3-2 victory over Flamenco of Brazil in the semi-finals. Odion Igalo is basically um, earning the good money in Saudi Arabia. But it's an exotic place to play football. They go rewarded heavily financially by you know the sponsors of the club, the chairman, the president and everyone. It's been a good one for him. Um, it's not really been a successful tournament on the pitch. Um, he was huffed off in the uh, first game um, against Widad and the next one against Flamingo as well. He was taken out. He was. I, I saw the body language. He wasn't really happy about it. But one player we have to to really talk about is Mali's Musa Marega after proving himself at FC Porto and doing so well in Europe. Musa Marega is the engine room for them. He plays in attack. His competitive level, his board control, um, the way he goes about on the pitch tells you the story of an African who is desperate to win the Club World Cup, not just for himself, but for his country, Mali, as well. So impressive play from Mali's Musa Marega with Al-Hilal of Saudi Arabia. I was speaking there to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oloashina Okaleji at the FIFA Club World Cup in Rabat in Morocco.
Well, next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport, to the 2022 African Nations Championship, the CHAN, which ended last weekend with Senegal beating the hosts Algeria on penalties in the final after a goalless 120 minutes. This gave Senegal a treble of the Africa Cup of Nations, the Beach Soccer AFCON and the CHAN. The CHAN, the tournament where only players playing in their own domestic leagues at home can take part. Well, I was there in Algeria, back in Zimbabwe now. This was the seventh edition of the CHAN. The CAF president, Patrice Motsepe, said it was the best ever. And to be fair, most of us would agree with great crowds and excellent organization and superb stadiums too. And while the tournament began on a difficult note with Morocco withdrawing, at the heart of that their political differences with Algeria, also the strong political comments of Nelson Mandela's grandson at the opening ceremony, uh, there was much to be excited about in the three weeks of football that followed. Now, many of these tournaments, there have been near-empty stadiums at games where the hosts are not playing. Uh, this has been at the Chan and at the Africa Cup of Nations too over the years. But Algeria gave us huge, enthusiastic crowds in the cities of Constantine and Annaba, reasonable turnouts in Oran, where I was, and bumper attendances in Algiers, where Algeria played all but one of their games. And there was a strong sense that Algerian fans were eager to showcase their country with hopes of hosting the 2025 Africa Cup of Nations, where Morocco are among the other main contenders. And a very impressive stadiums at all four host cities. And while the Chan did, to be fair, have its share of dull games and averaged less than two goals per match, overall it produced some good football, particularly in the knockout stage. And uh, the VAR was used as sparingly and without controversy and uh, with great efficiency. So the Chan was a success, so most people would say. We got this voice note on the tournament from Cherno Chalo in the Gambia. I want to take this opportunity to congratulate Team Senegal for winning the Chan tournament. Kudos and bravo to the Teranga Lions. Papchao and his judges did well. It's a team comprising of great talents and feature pros. In all, it was a great tournament that gave back to young talents, who you might see in top European leagues soonest. The host Algeria did well from the start to the finish. It was a magnificent tournament. However, Algeria's geopolitical difference with Morocco should be settled to avoid such occurrences in the future. Yes, and many thanks there to Cherno Jallo. And with the Chan finished, the African football action keeps on coming. Uh, the group stages of the CAF Champions League and the Confederation Cup begin this weekend. In the Champions League, the holders Widad Casablanca of Morocco playing AS Vita of DR Congo. And also the under-20 Africa Cup of Nations is on from the 19th of this month up to the 11th of next month. That'll be played in Egypt. We're now to our interview with the former Zambia international Clifford Mulenga, who I was working with at the Chan. We were doing commentary together for CAF. And now Mulenga, who plays as a winger, was an Africa Cup of Nations winner with Zambia in 2012. He played 17 seasons in South Africa. He's still playing now back home at the age of 35 uh, with the Forest Rangers in Zambia. And a Clifford won the CAF 2007 Young Player of the Year award. I first asked him about that. It was actually good memories. Uh, well, it was um, after I had participated in the under-20 tournaments uh, in the Africa Cup uh, in Congo, Brazzaville, and after the World Cup under-20 in Canada with uh, with Zambia. Um, it was during that period that 
I did very well for, for my country and my talents were appreciated. And uh, after the 2008 Africa Cup of Nations in Ghana, that's when I was actually told about the nomination. Uh, the awards were being held in Togo and I was just told by by the uh, manager of the national team, Soli Pando, uh, may so rest in peace, that I have been nominated for an award and I have to attend it in, in Togo. So he didn't tell me what the award was about and I had completely no idea what I was going there for. Until I got to Togo, I was put in a very beautiful hotel, I was excited, I was young, and the next day I was taken to the conference room where the awards were being held. You know, I, I think meeting the people I met were actually bigger than the trophy to me. You know, I had the pleasure of meeting Roger Miller, uh, Tony Eboa, Mboma, you know, Kalusha Wale was there, Abedi Pele, you know, Samuel Eto. You know, uh, all the big stars of African football, present and past at that time, were, were available there. So it was just such an, an amazing moment for me, you know. And when I was announced as the winner of the CAF uh, Glow Young African Football of the Year, you know, to see those gentlemen stand up and, you know, applaud me and everything actually brought me more tears than actually lifting the trophy. But it was such an amazing moment that I'll, I'll never forget in my life. <laughs> so when you look back, um, what did you know about football compared to what you know now? Uh, to be honest, at, at that moment, I was just uh, excited to be one of the, the best young players out there. You know, I could move from club to club without any troubles. Money at that time was not really a big factor because uh, we were not yet very exposed to social media at that, at that time. So it was just about playing football, wanting to outshine everybody else. And I knew about the big clubs, you know, Real Madrid's and Arsenal's, but I didn't know at that time what it felt like to actually play for those teams. So I think it was one of the reasons that uh, I I think I didn't really, really pursue a move to Europe because I wasn't really educated about what it what it meant to actually play in those in those European uh, tournaments compared to now. So I would say I didn't really know much back then, but uh, compared to what I know now and what I would have done differently if I could have the opportunity now to to be as good as I was when I was I was younger. So you had a very long career in South Africa, about 17 seasons there. Uh, tell us the highs and lows. Let me start with the lows. The lows of my being in South Africa for so long where I not to have had an, op- an opportunity to play for Kaiser Chiefs, Orlando Pirates and Mamelodi Sundowns, you know. Those are the big teams in South Africa and in African football and just worldwide, you know. And I had an opportunity to play for them, but I felt like... Uh, I didn't get the chance, maybe because of, you know, my issues off the pitch as well. You know, sometimes I, I, I did things that I shouldn't have done. So maybe that put the teams off from signing me. And my highs were, you know, uh, having played for, for one of the best uh, teams in Africa, which is uh, Bluefontein Celtics at that time. Unfortunately, it's no more there, but uh, to have gone there, it was, it was such a uh, big thing for me. I really enjoyed myself there. I also went and played for Super Sport United, among other big clubs in, in South Africa. So I fortunately could have a contract playing at the top level for such a long time when I could see some of my good friends you know, struggling and couldn't get those opportunities for themselves. You know, So I'm grateful for, you know, for the opportunities that I got and all those uh, moments that I had in South African football. And uh, there was Jomo Sono. Uh, the Black Prince, uh, owner of uh, Jomo Cosmos, as a player, he played with Pele in the USA. Um, how was it uh, being at his club? 
from the beginning it was just uh, amazing because uh, when I actually joined his club he personally called me to join him and uh, you know help him uh, win promotion back to the top flight which we almost did by reaching the the, the playoffs unfortunately we lost in the in, the, in those games but uh, just being at his club was was really really great uh, he's a very funny guy actually you know like uh, you'd always want to throw around a joke he was, he was very supportive you know there's no negativity around him you know he's just uh, he's an amazing guy you know and he'd always uh, advise you where you should go right and all of those kind of things so it was an honor for me to have played for, for his club and uh, you spent one season in Sweden tell us how that was <laughs> it was cold <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a it was a it was a very good experience. Um, I was actually taken on loan from University of Pretoria. Um, I had gone there, I think, on a Monday for for a trial before I was signed, and uh, on, I think on a Wednesday I was told, "Hey, we are signing you. You need to go back and come back after two days." So I had to. So it was such an experience. It was such a great moment, and I also had my um, fellow Zambians there, uh, Boyd Mwila and Dominic Kiobe, were playing for the same team. So I, I felt almost at home and, you know, the people were very warm and kind to me because I think they couldn't believe that such a small guy could be this good and, you know, this fast, you know. <laughs> and I was actually called uh, grasshopper, grasshopper because they said you jump from one place to another. So <laughs> it, was a, it, was a, it was a great experience. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the team went to some financial, you know, uh, troubles and the team couldn't sustain itself in the top level of uh, football. So we ended up getting relegated and... That was it, but it was a good experience to see what, what is out there. Unfortunately, I didn't get to learn much, but I am grateful for, for that opportunity. Well, that is former Zambia international Clifford Mulenga, and more from him on next week's show. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on the English Premier League. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. And you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. Well, in other African football news, uh, talking about Ivory Coast International, Sebastian Haller for the third week in a row here on the show, having made his return from testicular cancer for Borussia Dortmund in Germany. Uh, now he has scored his first goal just three weeks after his comeback. That was in a victory over Freiburg, and he got the goal on World Cancer Day. Uh, Haller was diagnosed with testicular cancer uh, soon after joining from uh, Ajax and uh, only made his debut for the club uh, last month after to making a full recovery. And another player we're talking about for a third week in a row on the show, Nigeria forward Victor Ossimen, who continues with his wonderful form with Napoli in Italy, uh, getting two goals last weekend in a victory over Spezia, uh, one of them with an amazing header where he reached a height of 2.58 metres, higher than Cristiano Ronaldo's famous goal against Sampdoria back in 2019. So amazing performances we're seeing from Victor Ossimen. Seamen. Well, let's go to social media now. And last week we asked, uh, which transfer stood out for you in the January window? Very busy transfer window it was, with Enzo Fernandez joining Chelsea for an English Premier League record fee. Uh, the Blues also signing Mikhailo Mudrik. And many moves for African players, including Burkina Faso winger Dango Watera to Bournemouth. And Southampton signing Ghana winger Kamaldine Suleimana for a club record fee of $22 million. 
So we asked which transfer stood out the most for you in that window, and Emmanuel Arthur Melo in Ghana and Gershom Zamawa in Malawi both said it's João Cancelo for his move to Bayern Munich from Manchester City, an unexpected loan move as Cancelo fell out of favour with Pep Guardiola at City. Uh, Belong Badgie and the Gambia says, for me, it's Andre Ayew moving to Nottingham Forest. He's a player with lots of desire. His move to Forest reunites him with his former coach, Steve Cooper, who knows him well. His chances are great now. We'll see more of his quality moves and assists and lots of his skill after a drop in performance, says Belong. Uh, yes, uh, reunited with Cooper, who he played with at a Swansea City and moving from Al Saad in Qatar as a free agent. Also in the Gambia, Sedeko Suno says, uh, for me it's the transfer of Ghana star Kamaldin Sulemana on that club record fee. That stood out for me the most, says Sedeko. Uh, Sunday Odetola in Nigeria says it's Paul Onuachu moving to Southampton, uh, the Nigerian. And Solomon Langashi also says for me it's Onuachu who moves from Genk in Belgium, the tall forward. But then unimpressed with that move, Obina Eze Igbo, he says uh, Onoachu's left paradise to a place where he'll be booed, benched and relegated. And Aboki Solomon uh, says, well, Kamal and Onoachu are great players, but why did they choose Southampton, a team which is bottom of the table? Uh, yeah, well, presumably getting good deals there, plus uh, a chance to lift Southampton out of the relegation zone and to uh, shine, I suppose. Well, thanks so much for all of those comments. Always great to hear from you. This week on social media asking, have you lost patience with Liverpool? The Reds are in 10th place after 20 games, so what do you think is the way forward? Should they just part ways with manager Jurgen Klopp? Does he need to do something with the players? Or will things just start to come good for Liverpool soon? You can post a comment on our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Have you lost patience with Liverpool? Well, now let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK. And it uh, seems like we're talking a lot about uh, managers losing their jobs. Uh, most recent one to go, Stuart, uh, Jesse Marsh at uh, Leeds. Well, Steve, when you asked me to talk about Jesse Marsh, I was tempted to say, can you just use what I said last week about Frank Lampard and change the name? Because they're such similar stories. Marsh was appointed manager of Leeds last February because the owners feared the club would be relegated just like Lampard. He was inexperienced, no Premier League experience at all as a player or manager, but like Lampard, he kept his club in the Premier League. They were fourth from the bottom uh, and Everton fifth from the bottom. This season, both Leeds and Everton have again struggled and both managers are gone within a year. Incredibly, Marsh is the seventh of 20 managers to be fired this season. Scott Parker at Bournemouth, Thomas Tuchel Chelsea, Bruno Laghi at Wolves, Stephen Gerrard, Aston Villa, Ralph Hasenhutl, Southampton, Lampard and Marsh. And I think it'd be fair to say, Steve, that none of the changes of manager has made an overwhelming difference. Bournemouth and Southampton have dropped into the bottom three. Wolves are just two points above relegation. Aston Villa have moved up a few places. 
Chelsea, for all their big spending and change of manager, have won only once in their last six games. Everton pulled off a magnificent victory over Arsenal in Sean Dyke's first game, but they're still in the bottom three. But the fear of relegation is so great that owners tend to panic, with Stephen Gerrard, Frank Lampard and Jesse Marsh all going in less than a year. And I think Scott Parker got about 13 or 14 months. Wow, so seven managers gone already this season in the English Premier League. And uh, another big story of this week, Stuart, Manchester City charged by the Premier League with more than 100 breaches of financial rules. Um, Tell us more on this one. Well, Steve, I think it's actually 115 different breaches of financial regulations. Um, But we have to be clear that we're talking about allegations and a lot of lawyers will make a lot of money before the issue is settled. The charges come out of a four-year investigation by the Premier League and the major allegations are that Manchester City have not reported accurately their income from sponsorship and there's a suspicion that City's owners have put money into the club calling it sponsorship when in actual fact it was a gift. Secondly, it's claimed that Payments to certain players and managers have involved an official salary going through the books, but a so-called shadow contract, money paid direct to the player by the club's owners, but not going through the club books. Thirdly, they're accused of not complying with UEFA financial fair play regulations, and it's also alleged that City have refused to cooperate with the Premier League in their inquiries. And the misdemeanours we're talking about, which are alleged, go back to 2009. Now, if City are found guilty, and I do have to keep saying that these are just allegations at this stage, the club could suffer a points deduction or they could even be relegated from the Premier League. And that's no hollow threat. In 2006, in Italy... Juventus were relegated from Serie A to Serie B and stripped of two league titles over a scandal relating to referees. In France, Marseille were found guilty of match-fixing and relegated in 1994 and in Scotland in 2012, Glasgow Rangers entered liquidation and the reformed club had to start at the bottom of the pyramid, taking four years to get back up to their Premier League status. Now, I mentioned that Juventus were stripped of titles that they'd won. What would happen if Manchester City were found guilty? Because they won the Premier League title six times during that period. Would those league titles be awarded to Manchester United and Liverpool, who each finished second to Manchester City three times in the past 11 years? It's a very serious situation for Manchester City and will certainly affect their ability to sign players in the close season if it's not resolved before that. But the story has a long way to run. Right, a lot of uh, unanswered uh, questions there. Uh, So we keep following that one. So English Premier League, a full round of fixtures this weekend, plus a rescheduled game Wednesday next week. Arsenal playing Manchester City. Interesting at the top and at the bottom, Stuart. Yeah, there were several really significant games last weekend. Um, On Saturday, for only the second time all season, Arsenal were beaten, 1-0 at Everton. And it was really lovely for new manager Sean Dyche that the Everton goal was headed in by Tarkovsky from a corner by McNeil, two players that 
Dice had helped to nurture at Burnley, his old club. Arsenal's defeat suddenly meant that Manchester City, though five points behind Arsenal, having played a game more, found themselves in a situation that if they won all their remaining games, including the two against Arsenal, they would be champions. But then Manchester City lost 1-0 to Tottenham, with a chap called Harry Kane scoring the goal, his 267th goal for Tottenham. Liverpool lost 3-0 at Wolves, meaning that they've played four league games this year, picking up just one point and scoring just one goal. And for the first time since 1993, they've conceded three goals in each of three consecutive away league games. Chelsea drew with Fulham 0-0, meaning that they've played six league games this year, recording just one win and two draws and scoring just three goals in six games. Certainly in the short term, it shows that you cannot buy success. And it leaves Chelsea and Liverpool in ninth and tenth position. This weekend, Arsenal are at home to Brentford, Manchester City at home to Aston Villa. Chelsea away to West Ham, and on Monday evening, Liverpool at home to Everton in a really intriguing Merseyside derby. You know, you'd say Liverpool are the favourites, but they're in such poor form, and Everton are playing well suddenly. And at the bottom of the table, Southampton, still seeking their first win under Nathan Jones, are at home to fellow strugglers Wolves. Bournemouth at home to Newcastle, Leeds United at home to Manchester United, with all those clubs desperate for points. At the bottom of the table, Southampton, still seeking their first win under Nathan Jones, are at home to fellow strugglers Wolves. Bournemouth are at home to Newcastle, Leeds United at home to Manchester United, with all those clubs really desperate for points. Yes, a shocker of a season for Southampton so far. Thanks a lot, Stuart. Uh, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Oloashina Akaleji at the FIFA Club World Cup in Morocco, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening, and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.